1: Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's episode. We've got an outstanding conversation here today. We've got a big-time mover and shaker, repeat guest, which we all know how much we love our repeat guest. Our guest is doing big, big things when it comes to creating content that matters, right? I tell you, he tells stories like nobody's business. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about not only some uh, really cool projects that he is on the cusp of leading, but... We're going to be talking about uh, lessons you can learn from creating compelling content, from storytelling to uh, change management to leadership. So stay tuned for today's outstanding conversation. So uh, I want to introduce our guest here today. Our special guest has tons of experience in the new media space, where he's spent more than twenty years with innovative companies like How Stuff Works, Imperative Entertainment, and Discoveries, programs and content. Folks, they won awards across industry, from uh, Apple Podcasts to Webby Awards and a whole bunch more. Um, our guest has, as I mentioned, some really big projects coming up. He might can tell us a little bit about it without killing us later, but uh, stay tuned for a lot of great takeaway here as we welcome in the CEO and Chief Content Officer from Waveland, Jason Hope. Jason,
0: how you doing? Very good. It's very cold here, but that's okay. <laughs> it's Atlanta, it's cold. Um, People don't think that, um, but it is, and that's okay.
1: You know, you're so right. You get up, uh, we're used to these milder winters, you know, and, and when, it's, when it's like 80 degrees during the holidays, we're all complaining that it's not cold enough, doesn't feel like the holidays. And then this year happens, I think it was 28 degrees when I got up this morning at 5.30, and we're like, okay, I wouldn't mind those mild winters again, huh?
0: So as a Midwestern kid, right? I actually moved south, and I've been in the south now longer than I have been in the north. was in the north. And I can tell you, I've actually Googled: uh, Does your blood thin when you um, move to warmer <laughs> temperatures? Uh, I'm not sure what the, it says, but I feel colder when I live down here than I did when I lived up north. So I'm there with you, go. you. I'm with you. And and when you say that, I think Wisconsin, yeah. right? That's mm-hmm. where you grew up. Yeah, Midwestern roots.
1: Yeah, and now you've been here and doing big things in the Greater Atlanta area for quite some time, huh?
0: I love Atlanta. It's the perfect mix of um, kind of big city metropolitan area with lots of things to do and a great place to raise a family, and, and we're literally right in Midtown, and um, Atlanta's a beautiful canopy city. People don't think of that, so most of the city is covered with trees, and so you can live in a neighborhood right in the middle of, or the heart of Atlanta and feel like you're in your own space. You run down the street and you see the tall buildings. Yes. It's really great. Well, you know, uh, so let's talk about
1: that a little more, because when you say run down the street, a lot of folks maybe not be talking about that literally. You're talking about it literally though, because you woke up this morning and did four and a half miles, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's to become a religion for you. Tell us about jogging and why it's important.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a thing for me. Um, I think it uh, it started about seven or eight years ago. Um, you know, you kind of kick yourself into motion and say, "What do I need to do to get you know to get more fit, to feel more active? Um, you know, kind of get outside the house and and." It was a real struggle. I really, um, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it was, it, was, uh, it was not pretty at first. But repetition, like anything in any industry or anything, um, it's just, it's not letting go. And um, sometimes results don't come overnight. Um, it actually can take years, just like anything. And I just kept doing it. And what I actually found was some pounds started to come. Yes. I started to feel better, shockingly. My doctor says, you know, how would you feel if you were running with two 15-pound weights in your hands? Like, think about, like, it's so obvious, but think about that. Wow. And so when you don't have those weights, you run faster. And you feel and you and you so feel, much better. You feel better, you sleep better. But something else happened, which is it, be, it ended, ended up kind of being my office hours, if you will. And it ended up being that thing where um, I was able to sort through things in my head i was able to overcome anxieties or fears about things i work on a ton of podcasts and documentaries and kind of future- yeah we're gonna dive into yeah. all that but i actually like i actually listen to early versions of these um uh, series in my earbuds while I'm um, while i'm running uh, i'm listening to other things to inspire creativity and i'm kind of working stuff out in my head that's it's the best way I can explain um, this kind of early office hour. It's my space, it's my time. Mm-hmm. And often I say um, t- to run is to be alone, but it doesn't mean you're lonely. And I think the same thing applies to being CEO of a company. You can, you, it's a very much of a, a feeling of being alone, but not necessarily lonely if, if you don't let it take you over. You are you in your own space, right? And so that was <clears throat> that was a little bit um, difficult for me at first, but now I fully embrace it. And if I don't run, um, I'm miserable. <laughs> I just I, I really am like it is a a thing that I savor every single morning, and I think it also it do, it did something to me. It's a it's part of the grind, right? It it's the. Def- so I never want running to define me as a person. OK. But I think the ethic of getting up every morning and doing something and starting your day can be very difficult to be motivated. Oh, no doubt. To, yeah. To, to, to like. It takes a discipline. It, it takes a discipline. And I'm proud of that discipline. Um, and it's actually taught me a lot about how to do everything else I do during the day yeah. or during the week or during the month or whatever. Um, Secondly, the, the kind of other enlightening thing um, with, with running is because I'm on the road working on so many productions and traveling all over the place. You know, sometimes when we visit places, we're in an Uber or we're staying in a hotel or right. Airbnb, Airbnb, and we don't really get to see the, the place that we're visiting. Right. Right. You fly over New York City, you're in a cab, you're point A to point B. Um, but what running is, it, it's obvious, but until you actually stop and do this, um, you see things you don't normally see. And it's so great. And being in so many different states, from Hawaii to Florida, Massachusetts, New York, running through Central Park is just amazing. Right. And you just see people and places and things completely different. And it is inspiring. And It's actually triggered some new creative ideas along the way. I believe it. You know, I think it's it's just, you gotta get out there. You've got to, you know, sometimes it's just a pair of shoes and a pair of shorts and that's all you need. Um, You know, you just go for it.
1: Yeah, it's not only healthy getting out there as you're describing it, but it's healthy from a creative, inspiring mindset as well. It kind of nurtures both both sides of the coin, so to speak, right? Um, Now, when we've gotten together previously, and as I follow you on social media and we interact there a little bit, um, you've rubbed elbows with some pretty fascinating fellow jogging or, or healthy enthusiasts. What was one of your favorite recent uh, moments like that?
0: So there's a, there's a man who lives in Miami Beach. His name is um, Robert Kraft. He's called The Raven. Okay. He, <laughs> he's um, an incredible character. He, he started, let me see if I get this right. I think he started running eight miles every day um, beginning in January 1st, 1975. Okay. Every day. Eight miles? Yeah. Whew. He would show up to the beach and whoever was with him he would run and he was going through some things and it was his vert way of kind of having that regular right. kind of process. Uh, and we did, <coughs> excuse me, we did a documentary series on him called Raven and um, but I had not met him in person and done the run until uh, about a year ago or so. Well, yeah, my family was—it was actually over the Christmas holiday last year, right? When we were in Miami, and I said, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta see Raven." And so Raven gives everyone he meets uh, a nickname, um, and he never forgets it. He logs every run, okay. and, um, and every person he's ever run with. I think he's had about 3,200 people run with him. He's very slow. He's He's actually had to cut back now for the mm. first time. Um, but it was all about wonderful conversations, and, and I did it.
1: What was your nickname? It was Good Trouble. Good Trouble. Yeah. That's where the shirt, I saw you the, the picture you took, yeah. and yeah. it said Get Into Good Trouble, I think, right? Yeah. John Lewis. Love that. Atlanta Man. Zone, right? That's right. Um, outstanding. So, The Raven. I'm going to have to go back and, and check out the documentary. It's eight, to get up and do eight miles every morning yeah. since 1975. Yeah. That is a, a saying it, that it's a feat doesn't do it justice. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, but he's I'll, a, and he's a character. <laughs> I'll uh, All right. We got so much to get into here today. And we're just starting with, you know, a big part of who you are, and that's your passion for jogging and using that. You know, I think it's really important that all the folks out there that may be listening to us, whether you're in, you know, supply chain or other components of global business, whether it's jogging or something else, finding those uh, those new office hours, those unique office hours, where you can get a lot of that thinking done. You know, for a lot of folks, it's windshield time. Yeah. You know, for me in Atlanta, yeah. back in the day when I'd commute every day, I'd work out all kinds of stuff being stuck in traffic. That was just, yeah. you know, I didn't talk on the phone. Yeah. I just kind of worked through. It. And it's, it's so important. It, it's uh, therapeutic, practically therapeutic, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, you know, my, I don't have a commute. Um, I'm at home base or I'm somewhere, Yep. and so I need that time to be able to kind of, you know, have my own space. Me and we you all both.
1: Do. We all do. Um, all right. So since the last time you are with us, um, me and you and and Sean, mm-hmm. Sean Kipe. Kipe, had a great live stream. There are so many great parallels between making great content, compelling content, and, and business, and we talked a lot about those uh, those parallels back then, probably about a year and some change ago, and we're going to talk touch on some of that here today, but... A lot of things have changed since you and I last got together. You've got a really big uh, company you've been launching. What can you tell us about what you're up to now?
0: So I was, I was with, previous with Imperative Entertainment, I started their, um, their podcast division. They have uh, launched Killers of the Flower Moon, I'm sure you've heard of that. Oh, yeah. uh, it's also part of the Neon family. Uh, and I did 23 um, original podcast series while I was there. Um, but, you know, kind of being a little type A and wanting to go bigger and bigger, um, I, I still wanted to do my thing, um, my way, and I looked at um, uh, the guy who's now my agent, who had wanted to represent me for a long time, um, he had pushed me um, to do this, and I, I saw him at an event here in Atlanta, Okay, and I said, I just looked at him, We hadn't said, how are you doing, Oren? I looked at him and said, okay, I'm in. He said, okay. And we spent the next however month, uh, many uh, number of months figuring out what that meant, okay. what I wanted, what I really wanted on my own terms. And I didn't want to settle for anything less than my own vision. I just, its really it was really important. To, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Not to be pig-headed about anything, but I just... Uh, I have this conversation with one of my best friends who helped me name the company and do the branding. And he said, um, you're the CEO, act like it. Which means just put on that uniform every day and make really hard decisions and know who you are and know what you want and don't compromise. And you know, we've all kind of tried to be a team player or do do things that we felt was in the best interest of lots of people and I fully support that. But if you're the boss or you're the CEO and you have to make the fun decisions, but also like the tough decisions and what you want this to be, very early on I decided this is what I want this to be and this is my vision. Yes. And so uh, Waveland, so we, an, uh, we announced Waveland um, uh, in March and, and then nothing. I literally have, I wouldn't say been in hiding, but I've been, you know, heads down, put the work in, let's make some shows. So I'm actually currently producing eight series Wow! all over the country, all completely different, all in completely different stages. I'm working with incredible writers, journalists, documentary filmmakers, screenwriters, producers, etc. Mm. It's really an all-star team. It's the best eight shows I think I've ever worked on, and I'm really proud of them. And I know that... I know I feel that way because I changed my mind every day, which was my favorite. It hits me with a different emotional (laughs) tone. And so, so how do I describe what's to come?
1: Um, Well, before you do that, I gotta go back to that teacher-ism you dropped on us a second ago. You're the CEO, act like it. And you know, to our listeners out there, whether you're the true, formal CEO like you are of your company or like I am for supply chain now, it, it, no matter, because you're the CEO of your life, yeah. you know, and, and you can, only you can control and not compromise on what you want to do in this life. Yeah. And so that was, uh, thank you for sharing that t shirtism I might owe you some commissions or, or something <laughs>
0: later. That's such an important
1: moment uh it seems like in your journey too
0: and you know i work with people that i really like i've worked a lot of the people i'm working with now i've worked with previously i have really close relationships with them um and sometimes we can kind of be more friends than we we can be kind of putting the critics on and i'm I'm pretty ruthless in my truth telling and I will I will sometimes I'll just bury you and say this is not working and and it actually feels right. It can feel more uncomfortable in your head when you're thinking about it and being nervous having right. some, whatever with with uh, someone that you know and appreciate and respect. But I think they respect the fact that you are taking a leadership position and that you're saying this is what I want this to be and we need need, need to find a way to do it. And yeah. so Whether we're, you know, setting up for a remote, you know, interview or it's uh, looking at scripts or it's kind of having a battle plan, Um, they know where I stand. But let me say this. Um, When I say eight shows, each of these eight shows are, are different, not only in terms of the genre or the tone or the story, but... One of the things I do while taking a leadership position is not being a micromanager. Right. I want each of the voices of the creators to come through, so their voice, the script, the writing, um, the interview style, um, the music that comes in. I actually really want each of these shows to sound, or be reflective of the personality, um, you know, really of the of the creative team. Right. And so that's that's what an all star team is. It's, yeah. I I think sometimes we suffer from sameness, and because when we start to get into this sameness domain, none of it's memorable. And so, by allowing a lot more of that creativity and a lot of you know that freedom to do your thing, right? Uh, I, I just and then and then really delivering something that people are gonna it's gonna stick with them. Um, that's a little bit of the magic.
1: I, I love that, and I love this uh, this this description of we get trapped in the sameness. I'll tell you exactly where the analogy in my brain went to. So I love a good sub sandwich. Bear with me here. Bear with me. And some of these large global Titan chains, the sandwich is about the bread. And it's just like a, it's just, it's just, they crank out the bread. There's no soul to it, you know? And I think a lot of times when me and my wife, Amanda talk about that, it's easily relatable to how we do content. Right, because so many folks, we all get trapped into at times mailing, you know, just, just mailing it in, you know, going through the motions. So whether we're talking about you know podcast shows content, right, or sandwiches, I love the sameness concept that you shared here, Jason. Have you ever had one of those sandwiches that the bread's got no soul in it?
0: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I used to be a picky eater, and now I'm a picky um, curator. <laughs> I like it and i I, luckily because of my career i see a lot of great material and it's really easy to kind of just settle yes um the other danger you know i talked about um depending on how you look at this uh, when i told you i'm working on eight productions at the same time that may either seem like a lot or that may seem like a little or you're not sure how much that is it is a lot yeah sure Um, but sometimes when we we talk about scaling a business, um, we tend to turn it into the factory floor, and that's where it gets dangerous, too. That's where you lose the soul, also. You know, talk about expanding restaurant locations, or you know, the quality of the food suffers, or the quality of the service or the staff suffers. You know, one of what is the sweet spot of number of shows that one I can handle as a human being right. each year, and two that can actually be good shows. That can actually be, not good shows, great shows that I'll stand behind. And so of course we always want to scale the business and do all that, but what I've seen in the industry sometimes is that scale can lose, it can help you lose that soul and you just have more misses. Yeah. And you think you've done the right thing, scale, 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 Um, but again, the sameness is there. Yeah. And so I just, I'm very, aware of those things, I've lived through those things, I've made my own mistakes. Um, But again, that's kind of defined what I think my sweet spot is. Yeah, Uh,
1: all right, so eight shows right now. Man, that's like several full plates, Uh, that's a lot. Um, Especially good quality, that's gonna resonate with folks and stories that really need to be told. So what else can you share about this next chapter?
0: So I'll tell you that it starts in earnest next month in January. Uh, 2024 is a big year, and um, you know when you're watching HBO on Sunday night, and it's kind of, it's like the the season of Sopranos, and then... One of the best shows ever, ever, ever. anywhere. Well, you know, they get on a run sometimes where it goes from Game of Thrones to Succession to White Lotus to... You know whatever the next boardwalk empire back Back in the day yeah Yeah, so like every sunday night for me it's a little less on demand now but like it's destination programming and viewing around high quality premium dramas and in some respects those shows couldn't be any more different like they're just wildly different like the fantasy of game of thrones versus the the heartlessness of, of business <laughs> and succession to this delight of white lotus and transporting to new places. It couldn't be any different. Right. Um, but if you start with one, you're probably pretty psyched about the next one because it's HBO, right? Right. That's, wow. That's amazing. Uh, and those genres, the, the shows and what they're about couldn't be any different, right? But they do have a common thread. They do have a common thread of premium quality. Of these big dramatic stories, and I think it's what audiences love, and that's why they've been so successful there. And so one of the things I tried to model Waveland around is this kind of always on experience where one series ends and it yeah. rolls right into the next one. You know, I never at Imperative believed that Imperative Entertainment Podcast would be a brand that people would recognize. Okay. That they would actually maybe see one or two of these series and like it for that series, but not connect it to a brand. And I'm proud to say that uh, I heard from so many consumers and people in the industry that they just loved what Imperative did. And so I know I can build that brand again. And so my thinking here is, again, this kind of always on experience where one series ends and another begins. And even if we switch genres, I think you're gonna like it. So if I can prove to you that these are great shows, that you're gonna be entertained, that it's gonna give you those raw emotions, I wanna continue to pull you through no matter what the show is, no matter if it's something that you thought you would like, you never knew it was attached to Waveland or not. And so, um, you know, I aspire to what HBO has done. I love that model. And for me, that's just aspirational in terms of like the kind of things that I'm trying to do. Um, And it's really hard to create something of great quality and I'm not doing it all by myself. Um, Again, I've been very picky with the types of series, and people, and whatever that I'm working with, and the locations. yeah, um, So I feel pretty good about it, though.
1: Uh, I think folks should bet the farm on what you're doing. You've got a track record, right? Uh, you, just like you're talking about picky eater, picky curator, you're also, what I would call a picky entrepreneur, taking the right venture at the right yeah. time, so you don't have to compromise on all that, how you do your art. Yeah. yeah? So I'm, I'm, I can't wait. Uh, and i got to tell you all, I think, I think I can say this, right? Uh, I was able to co- see a, a, a really cool trailer, right, which gave snippets of some of the different things you're working on. You're all around the world. And it may, it, you know, those things are called scissor reels for a reason because it gets you excited about what's coming. So, Jason, uh, we're thrilled uh, to not only watch what you've got next, but, you know, as supply chain now has grown, to benefit from your your input, um, uh, your advice, and your craft, so it's been great. Um, so let's do this. We're con- we had kinder spirits on a variety of levels, right? And I think one of those is our immense value we place on the the, the ability to tell a story, mm-hmm. right? And I have long um, I worked for when, when that really for me crystallized how important. Storytelling isn't just in family reunions where stories get passed down generation to generation, but in the business, or anywhere else, but in the business world, as folks are trying to understand, oftentimes, complex problems or what has happened so we can paint an accurate and compelling picture, right? Uh, so no matter what, where your journey is taking you, storytelling is incredibly important. So I wanna ask you here, um, respond to that. How how important, whether you're in global supply chain or global business, or if you're creating content, talk about the immense importance of the ability to storytell.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like asking yourself the question, why are we here? What are we doing? Like, we've got spreadsheets and PowerPoint decks, but like, what is it all for? And that starts at leadership positions, but it's also, you know, and people struggle with this. What is, why am I here? What are my successes? And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a world that is moving so quickly that sometimes we forget those stories. Um, I, I, I talk about this with some of the podcast series because human history is now accelerated and moving so fast. If we don't tell the stories from, from the past and even today, um, we're bound to lose them forever. So I do think that we need to pause and think about the stories and the successes and the failures that we're kind of experiencing Um, because it's kind of, it's going to be gone. And some of that could be writing it down. It could be, you know, Apple just launched a journal app this this week for for all iPhone users. Um, I don't know what that is, but just chronicling your life. Like we have the ability to do that um, better than we ever have before. Um, And I think that applies to business too. Like what is, what are we doing here? Um, Because I think everyone running so fast and in so many different directions, if you don't have a unifying story, um, then you you just don't know where you're going. So yeah. uh, I think that's just, it's important for people to find the space to figure out what their story is. Too. Right,
1: yeah, I completely agree. And, and you know, as I'm putting what you just shared there, your perspective, more from a strict business sense. You know, for me, I associate the ability to tell a story with the ability to effectively communicate, right? I'm thinking uh, I had a former business partner years ago and he was, a, he was the caretaker for his father, right? And his father was in his 90s, right? So there's a lot of uh, normal health things you manage. And he, was, uh, he and his father went to an Atlanta hospital and a lot of things transpired where he didn't get the best service. So my former business partner was able to secure a meeting with that healthcare system CEO. And because it was a long journey and twists and turns, he storyboarded out the whole experience his father had, right? And I I remember seeing these storyboards, he had like a dozen of them, where he walked that CEO through what happened with the details, but most importantly, the story, especially what could be fixed. And for me, it was like a eureka moment. Man, storytelling in business is just as important as virtually anywhere else. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, and I think, um, I, I don't know, I just think there's, we all suffer from some level of fear, of, fear and anxiety of being yeah. left behind, of not being part of a team. And, um, I, you know, I, as, as strange as this sounds, yeah. again. Usually my
1: favorite moments come from after someone says, yeah. as strange as this sounds. Again, going back
0: to you're the CEO, act like it. Right. Um, the ability to embrace uncomfortable conversations um, has been transformative for me, and I mean that both in terms of business relationships and just having honest conversations and having a point of view and 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 also kind of empathizing with the other side. This is not just all on one side and the right. other the other side believes something different um, and they're wrong. Um, but I think um, you know the same applies to having incredibly uncomfortable conversations with people that I've interviewed over the years that have suffered through things. And, and one of my aha moments has been that we're all kind of narcissistic. <laughs> At some point we, we ask each other kind of surface level questions. How's your life? How's your family? How's the weather? But we don't ever, no one ever gets asked those like deep in the gut questions. And what I've found is during some of the interviews that I've done, um, I don't know what, what got me to do this, just, I think, experience and just being comfortable in my own skin. When you ask people questions that they've never been asked before, um, the results can be shocking sometimes. And what I mean by that is they may have been ready to talk about this for years, but no one asked them or no one asked them and it at that moment, yeah. it was a freeing mechanism for them to tell their truth. And their life has changed. This just happened to me in Hawaii. It just happened and it changed this man's life when I shared some things that I knew about a circumstance around him. Um, and it was just, it was waterworks yeah. instantly. Like, and his wife looked, he his wife, wife was with, and she said, oh my God, I've never seen you like this. And it took an uncomfortable, Question, meeting, whatever, to pull it out of him because no one ever asked. No one ever paid attention to him. No one ever gave him that respect. And so sometimes it's important to be brave as the interviewer to ask those questions, but also in business to be able to kind of have, just have real conversations. Like you have strategies, uh, planning sessions, but if you aren't having real conversations about it, you know how you have those sessions and everyone feels great that day and right. then everyone goes home and forgets everything? Sure. Unless you've actually been real, that's why it's not really sticking.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that, and you know we love our planning conversations in Global Supply Chain, the, <laughs> uh, every hour of the day. But you know, that's so important because you're, one of your greater points you're making there is rather than the, the typical customary pleasantries that, you, that Have almost kind of like been baked into your brain to engage in how you doing you know uh, good to see how was your morning blah 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 and those are just mailed in interactions but to your point have it leaning into the the real meaningful questions and and, and where they've got your attention you're asking questions to your point that haven't been asked before Mm -hmm. man the release you can get sometimes and the stories you can get to it's it's, why we're here. You know?
0: It is, and it takes work. Yeah, You gotta put in the work. You can't just show up, um, you know. I think there's, again, not to be too whatever about things, but you know, go deep. Yeah, that's right. Uh,
1: Okay, so on a related note, especially to your earlier part of that response, you were sharing some things that made me think of um, change, change, and more change, right? Uh, And of course, a lot of folks, well, a lot of folks may associate just the state of business right now and change because it's coming faster than ever before, I would argue. But of course, there's been a greater emphasis on project management to help digest the, the rapidly growing change. And so I can think a few better people to ask who you've got eight different things going on, really big things, all these teams, uh, you know, stories across the globe, right? So, what what advice, what thoughts would you give our audience when it comes to managing projects, again, in content world or in supply chain or elsewhere, and how to digest all this change?
0: Well, that's a great question. Um, I think I've got this weirdly photographic memory and I can shift (laughs) gears from one project (laughs) to another. Uh, You know, when I say eight projects, they're all in different phases, and that allows me to do some of this. so, so that's good. I also lean on some other production companies to help me out, so I'm not carrying the whole burden. Um, but I think it is a combination of long-term planning and short-term thinking. So what am I trying to hit on a, you know, a monthly or yearly basis, and how do I juggle that? How close is that coming, and what do I need to do yeah. with the short-term of what does a day look like? What, how am I going to do this? I actually like to work in short bursts and then move on. And so I will, I mean, it's crazy. I'll, I'll be writing a script one day, I'll be story editing, um, I'll be um, negotiating contracts, I'll be uh, actually doing audio edits, I'll do interview prep. It's kind of, it actually paces the day really well. And, you know, people say to me, their natural reaction is, you must work 20 hours a day. <laughs> Not true, I'm done before five. I keep my phone on. I'm kind of always curious. I go to bed at nine or 9.30 every morning. <laughs> I run in the, you know, it's just, I think it's how you compartmentalize these things and not get too sunk by any one project. Mm. That's that's how it works for me. Maybe I'm just a strange beast, but um, I think the other thing for me is accepting the fact that it's okay to be creatively messy sometimes. Okay, and I don't like to work in a lot of spreadsheets, and I don't like to work in a lot of structure. On a lot of creative stuff, I need the space to kind of screw things up, to cross things out, to you know try those things over and over. So for me, um, if I'm too structured, that I'm doing it wrong.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. What what comes to my mind as you uh, share that last part, where you need to kind of the freedom to, um, you know, think and create and brain, brainstorm, not in a cliche way, but making your brain work to, you know, um, to arriving at uh, a decision or a new project or a new idea, whatever it is. I think of teams when they get together. Uh, I don't know if you ever worked for an organization that might not give their teams enough chance, whether, you know, no matter what part of business, to really have that same space with each other, to ideate, Right. And I think I think one of the greatest uh, disadvantages that comes with that type of culture is we can stick to what's always worked. We can stick to whatever ideas or solutions we've used. And we don't recognize oftentimes that these are new challenges that oftentimes requires new ways of fixing them or addressing them. Right. Do you see that same parallel there?
0: I do and I also think that the, this kind of constant on focus can also, it, it creates that tension and that anxiety that is not good for your creativity and right. your vision right. and doing your job well and so actually having this, like I I have traveled a lot and one of my rules is I'm not going to work on the plane.
1: Okay. Has that always been one of your rules? It huh? has
0: been for a number of years and it's just like you're going to be there when you be there. Um and kind of give yourself that pause, like don't get on your laptop and start working. Right. I
1: Especially play. on spreadsheets. Yeah,
0: right? I, won't, I just won't <laughs> do it because it's just, I'm not in the right frame of mind for where I'm going and what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, um, Yeah, that's such a great thought. Uh, I love when I get on a plane, it's funny, because I'll, I'll, I'll pull everything in my bag, like okay, this, uh, I'm flying for three hours, I'm gonna knock this out, this out, this out, and I put everything in that bag, and then inevitably when I get on a flight, I just, I just want to relax and just kind of just, you know, watch something on the back of the seat in front of me or just just decompress, you know? That's
0: a good thing. I used to be so stressed with travel and now this is uh, just, I'll get there when I get there. Right. Yeah, it's all good.
1: I love that. All right, so on another related theme, leadership, leadership, leadership. I love uh, studying leadership, all the different styles and there's some uniquely different elements that I've seen really effective leaders um, utilize, and then there's some common themes that we all probably can you know, come to our minds that we've seen great leaders do. So I want to ask you this. What is one of the best leaders you've ever had the opportunity to work for? Did I tell you this? <laughs> you told me it's hard to pick one, I think. If I was doing my homework pre show you want me to ask you that question again?
0: I don't know the answer. Uh, okay. I actually don't. I'm going to lean into your answer then. Because I don't, I, don't I, I just don't, I don't know, I don't, I'm not someone that's going to go to, no offense to anyone, I'm not going to go to like an inspirational, you know, gathering to help me get my act together as a, as a worker, employee, business. I just, it's, it's not me. Okay. Um, I just like people that I can talk to. And feel like there's, you know, it's not corner office versus everyone else. Right. Um, you
1: know, so what yeah. I'm hearing, what I'm hearing you that, so if I'm, I'm tracking with you, I hear you hate politics, yep. right? And you also, you're not the rah rah type that doesn't resonate with you. Right. I'm hearing a very practical, you know, regardless of, the, of, a, of a specific leader, I'm hearing a very practical outcomes type of. Leadership. Well,
0: look at me. I'm wearing a, a baseball hat and a, a Nike sweatshirt today. I actually changed my clothes because I just wanted something that I would feel more comfortable right, with. Right, right. And this is just who I am. You know, I'll get dressed up in a, a pretty sharp suit every once in a while, and yep. I love feeling that way. But, you know, again, Midwestern roots for me and growing up as just, you know, in a blue collar neighborhood and family. Yep. Um, it's about talking to everyday people and. Uh, I don't know I just don't ever want to feel like um, I'm coming across as better than anyone else Um, you know jeans and tennis shoes and and just I don't know it just everything else around that just doesn't feel interesting to me it's just not interesting
1: so I'm also hearing uh, uh, authenticity and a real genuine and earnest approach to uh, being able to, to, to work with folks and communicate with folks and, and lead teams. I'm, I'm, authenticity is really important to you, huh?
0: Yeah, and I think people who are coming up in their career um, need to know that they, they just can't jump to the top. Right. That, that is sometimes dangerous thinking. And what I know is based on 25, 30 years on the Internet figuring it out, and you know, so my, my parents were, uh, my dad worked for a newspaper and my mom was a nurse. And that was the job they had their entire career. Wow. And so what was so great about that was security. You weren't getting fired as a nurse. You always knew where your paycheck was, right? Right. But you couldn't kind of change your mind or change your career, uh, you know, and say like, I wanna be an astronaut now. Right. Like it just, it wasn't <laughs> happening. And there was no internet and so, you just landed the career and that was your career and you may have made the wrong choice early on and you suffered through it for many, many years. Mm. You know, I was lucky enough. Um, I graduated in 1993 from Univers- University of Wisconsin. Okay. The job market was tough and the Internet started to populate around 95, 96. And so the Internet and the digital space has been this evolving mass of opportunity and change at the same time. That's right. And so by opportunity, if you are thinking, you know, thirsty and hungry for all that it can give you, you can succeed if you can roll with the punches. Right. Because as we've seen, the busts, the booms, the tough times, the great times, the IPOs, all those things are exciting and also potentially, you know, kind of fatal in in careers. And so um, I accepted the fact that now I have more opportunity to do lots of different things, but that, that at the same time, because of change, the rug can get pulled up from underneath you at a moment's notice. That's right, because of economic changes, because of competition. You know, where there was Twitter, there was Facebook, there was you know Snapchat. You know, you never there's now TikTok. You never know what that next phase of this is going to be, and so it's having this mentality of, um, okay, I'm excited about this, um, and and as someone who's growing into a career. Um, just grab all of it and you will become an expert over time. Right. And every time you think you're an expert, then they change the rules again.
1: <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, yeah. really. All these opportunities, all the risk that it comes But how exciting with. is that? Oh,
0: like, I, like, I was almost a lawyer, Yeah. almost a lawyer. And okay. I think like, the thing that said no to me was, what if I don't like being a lawyer 20 years from now? Mm. And I'm glad I made that decision.
1: I am too. So, Jason, thank you for leaning into these topics that are that are universal, regardless of what sector of the world and global business space you are, leadership and project management or, or change management in particular, storytelling. Man, we could be here for hours, I think, picking your brain on, on how to really do that and do it effectively and do it in a way that matters. Um, but I want to ask you this. Bold predictions. Did you happen to bring your crystal ball here today?
0: A little bit. Okay.
1: <laughs> or at least your magic eight ball, right? Remember that back in the day? I do. Um, so when you think about 2024, obviously you've got a big, big project here in January, you're launching, but when you think about what else we can come to expect in the world of business and beyond in 2024, brand new year, what are you expecting?
0: So it's an election year and one fraught with a lot of uncertainty and doubt and uh, no doubt conflict. Um, I think when I think about the ad community and I think about what brands are doing, um, I predict that there's, it's, it's short term. So everyone is looking at everything in the short term, um, arming themselves with data to make short term buys or placements or experiences as opposed to saying, this is our three and five year plan. I think that's the new reality is again, things are changing so quickly. That you've got to have teams and you've got to have data to uh, inform where you're go- where you're going right now and a little bit more. And I'm not sure that other models will will kind of will will work this year. I think that there's just so many unknowns that everyone's going to be pretty conservative. Yeah, they're not going to shut down completely. The economy is good. They're spending money, but they're spending money in smart. Places, safe places, being conservative, not trying to go way out of bounds on anything. And so I think that's kind of defined 2023. Yeah. And I would expect that to be even more in 2024, especially okay. as we get near the end of the year. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one. And I think two is the future is small teams. This is something that, I, so, you know, working in the podcast industry, I've seen sometimes bloated productions and too many people and uh, the cost of some of the things you wouldn't think it would be that costly but things add up pretty quickly right and i've always leaned into a model that is lean and mean you know multifaceted people i'm going to take on things that i probably um it wouldn't traditionally do in my role and just just getting out there right Um, you know i'm going to hawaii i'm working on this production um, I've got wireless mics and iPhones, and like I don't have to bring a whole crew with me right. anymore. That's really nice. I can do a whole lot more with less. And then um, you know, I call I call my team Studio SWAT teams, and what I mean is like we go to a place, we set up, we're there. And then we kind of pack our stuff up and some of those team members may go on a different project not related to me yeah. or they may continue on a different project with me yeah. but we're always as vibrant and useful as we are in the current project with as few p- people as possible to keep costs down to keep roles clarified and to keep things moving yes and that i will fill in the gap on anything that's missing And if it's too much for me, I'll just find additional oxygen, but I'm not going to be too heavy up at the beginning. And so I think, again, because of that long-term planning quandary that we have of like, we can't think, we have to think long-term, but there's not a whole lot that we should do from an investment standpoint. Don't get locked in. Don't get locked in. And I think small kind of aggressive um, uh, team building and kind of the way you form teams uh, is changed. Yeah. You know, there's not kind of a bullpen of people that you have anymore <laughs> in terms of like sitting out in cubicles. Right. You know, they don't even want to come in the office anyway. That's right. So how do you build this flexible culture and how do you build a kind of flexible kind of teamwork around that? Yeah. Those are just a couple things that I think about.
1: I love it. The future is small teams, as said here by Jason Hoke. And i also going to ask you, uh, the studio SWAT teams, every SWAT team's got an outstanding negotiator. I got <laughs> I got a feeling who wears that hat on your team, but we'll save that for another episode. Um, Okay, Jason, really appreciate what you're doing, setting new bars out there in what we'll call new media, media that matters, stories that matter, stories that need to be amplified, uh, that folks are going to really, really enjoy. That's your track record in so many different ways. Um, So how can folks connect with you and the Waveland team?
0: Certainly find me on LinkedIn, Jason Hoke H O C H is the way to find me, or you can email me at jason.hoke at wavelength.media. Um, I will say one last thing, okay. which is everything you said about the shows I'm doing um, is, is true. Um, purpose and meaningful, you know, storytelling. Yeah. Again, in sequelitis, prequelitis, superhero <laughs> fatigue. I just want people to be entertaining entertained with something fresh and original just give me something cool like let me listen to something cool in my car while i'm cleaning while i'm running i just want to entertain people yeah
1: i love that uh creating a whole new wide world of exciting sunday night content right right. right? Uh, jason Hoke, ceo and chief creative officer with Waveland. jason thanks so much for being here thank you all right folks Told you, I promise you, there'll be tons of, of intriguing and inspirational transfer and parallels from making Hollywood and beyond content that matters, entertains, and is fresh to the world of global business and leadership and, and even supply chain management. So hopefully uh, you enjoyed this episode as much as I have, but here's your challenge. you got to take one thing that Jason brought here today and put it into action, right? Your team will appreciate it. It's all about deeds, not words. That's how we... We can make a more appealing future, small teams or otherwise. So with all that said, Scott Luton here and the Supply Chain Now team challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now.
0: Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.